Welcome home, friends. This is Pastor David, and you are listening to the Community Life Podcast. We pray this message is an encouragement to help build your faith and focus your life toward Jesus in His way. We also hope that this podcast is an open door of invitation for you to come and see what God is up to here at Community Life. So plan a visit. We'd love to meet you in person. Lastly, if this is your church home or you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so by visiting madeforcommunity.com forward slash give. Thanks for listening. And this is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. It says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we are continuing our series on, uh, called Let Me Explain. And basically, our series is explaining why we do what we do the way that we do it. And so we've looked at a number of things that we do in church week after week after week that may not make sense to the world around us. And we do this because ultimately, most of the world around us doesn't go to church. Most of the people do not know why church does the things that it does. And so it doesn't make sense to them. So we have decided as a pastoral staff to... to share with you the things that we do and why we do them, and, and then even more so why we do them the way we do them here, because there are different expressions of Christianity that do it differently. And so far we've covered, why do we gather weekly? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we take communion? Why do we take it weekly? Why do we become members? Why, do we get be- why are we baptized? Why do we sing? And so if you have any questions about faith, or maybe you're just wondering why we do it the way we do it and you missed a week, I would encourage you, go back, listen to it. It would be very informative. I've had many people tell me that this series has answered a lot of whys that they just didn't understand. Because if you've been going to church for a while, sometimes we just do things without explaining them. Or if you've been going to church for a very long while, there are many different ways of doing it. And so I think it's been very helpful. Today, we'll be covering the question of why we give. And as we get started, here are just a couple of caveats, so I don't have to repeat them, but also just to be clear. If you're a guest here, we are not asking you for money. This is not a sales pitch. This is not a a twisting your arm. That's not at all. In fact, as a church, we often don't talk about money, so you don't confuse our priorities, because we're not in it for the money. The money is just a means to an end. It's not the goal for us. This is not a message in response to a need. We're not desperate for money, and so we're talking about it, and that's not what's going on. We're just continuing on in a series talking about why the church does the things that it does. Uh, and, and, and giving, I think, is one of the... A lot of people believe generosity is important, 
but, but maybe they don't understand why the church asks forgiving. So that's the first caveat, is we're not doing it because we're trying to twist your arm. Second is money is a tough topic to talk about in church because it's a tough topic to talk about anywhere. In relationships, if you look up number one reason why marriages are have trouble, one of the top things is always finances. Because money is always hard to talk about no matter where you're at. And so that's why it's tough for us to talk about. Pastors in general, because we don't want to look like the charlatans on TV trying to just get people to give the money for no reason, we, we avoid talking about money often. But the reason why I feel comfortable talking about it this morning is because I believe in this church's commitment to the mission of God. And I believe that God uses this church for his work in the world. And we are a part of what God is doing in the world. And, and part of what we do requires giving. And that's the only reason I feel comfortable talking about it. I'm not saying I have it figured out. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that, that, that there aren't questions you might have at the end of this, but I do want you to understand that what we're doing with the money here is to accomplish the mission of God for the glory of God so that everyone would know and love God. That's what we're doing here. And so uh, just, just a quick overview of what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the Bible says about giving, just a quick overview, and then look at how the church over the last 2,000 years has, done, has dealt with giving and how we deal with it here and now. So let's start with the, the, the foundation of giving. In the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, uh, Adam and Eve are put into the garden, and they're put in this perfect world, and everything is perfect, and everything is just exactly what you would want it to be, and they sin, and they fall, and they're kicked out of the garden. But very shortly after that, they have kids, uh, Abel and Cain. And these kids, they bring their gifts. Well, we don't know if they're kids by this point. But they bring their gifts or offerings to God. Now, the Bible doesn't explain when or why they started it, or if God had asked for it, or if they just did it themselves. It doesn't really tell us how or why. It just records that they did and that one of their offerings was accepted and the other wasn't. But right at the beginning of the Bible, we see giving and offering something to God as part of the work that the people of God have to do. And there's a right and wrong way to do it. But continuing on, Abraham, the father, the father of the people of Israel, which is God's people, uh, God had given all these promises to him, but he gave an offering to someone. Just to give you a quick uh, reminder of what's going on, Abraham and Lot were called to go to God's promised land, right? God promises them they're going to go to this beautiful land. It, it's like, like La Crescenda. It's just beautiful, flowing with milk and honey. You know, it's beautiful. It's always warm. There we go. Um, and when they get there, they realize they've got too much stuff. They're, they've traveled together, and their, their stuff is overflowing, and they don't know where does my property end and the other begin. They didn't have fences back then. And, and so they're, they're trying to figure out, and the property was really cheap. It was dirt, cheap, no bad um, I know, I'm sorry. Um, so they're trying to decide where the boundary lines are, right? And so Lot goes towards Sodom because it's, it's all nice and green, and Abraham takes the land that God had given him. But when they split up, soon after a war breaks out in the land. And so these people come in and they steal Lot and all of his stuff and his people and they, they run away with it. And so Abraham gets all the able-bodied men together and he goes and gets Lot back. And he takes all their treasure and, and all the things that were stolen from them. But as they get back, there's this king, this really obscure figure named Melchizedek. And he's the king of Salem. And he's one of the most obscure but most interesting people in the Bible because the Bible doesn't say much about him in Genesis, but then he's used as a figure or a shadow of Christ or Jesus. Anyways, Abraham meets this king and he gives him one-tenth of everything that they had got. And this one-tenth is called a tithe. 
And so that's the basis for the tithe in, in the Old Testament. Later on, Moses, when he leads the people out of the slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, he receives the law from God and God commands the people of Israel to give a tenth of everything they own to God for the, for the temple and for the priests who work in the temple. And so this then becomes the expectation or the way the giving works in the Old Testament. And, and, and so this was pretty undisputed in the time of, of Israel. I'm going through a lot of Bible history. I'm so sorry, but we're, we're getting somewhere, I promise. Well, when King David, who is the second king of Israel, comes, he, he is seeking out a place for the temple, right? They've been collecting an offering to go into this tent called the tabernacle where God was residing. But David wanted to give God a piece of land, a permanent place to exist. And so he seeks out this place for the temple to be built. And there he offered to buy the land from some man who owned it. But the man objected. And the reason the man objected is because David was a lot like Keanu Reeves. He was very famous, but down to earth. Everybody loved him universally. Yeah, that's right. Keanu Reeves is in a sermon today. I don't know how. Um, but David's just universally beloved. Like, people just really enjoy him. And they're like, no, no, David, you can just ask for the land. I'll give it to you. Whatever you want, King David. Like, he's just so beloved. But David said this in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 24, verse 24. It says this. The king replied to Aaron, I'm going to mispronounce this, Arana. He says, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David refused to offer anything to God that wasn't a sacrifice. David refused to give something away to God that cost him nothing. We sing a song that says that I refuse to pray a prayer that cost me nothing. That's the same idea, that, that David refused to give to God that which cost him nothing. And this was the basis of what giving is supposed to be, sacrificial. So later on, when the nation of Israel, they disobeyed God, and they went their own way, and they lived contrary to the law that he had given them. They were sent into exile, and God sent these people called prophets to speak on his behalf to them. And the prophets were pointing out that even though the people of Israel were still giving to God, their hearts were far from God. They were keeping the external nature of the law, but they weren't living in with the God of the law. That they missed the inward transformation of a living relationship with God. And Hosea was one of those prophets. And Hosea says this, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Something important is going on here. God commands something, but the commandment is not the goal. The goal behind the commandment is the goal. What's the goal behind the commandment? Well, Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is what Jesus is saying. The goal of giving is not that God gets something. No, that's not what's going on. God doesn't need our handouts. He wants our heart. God doesn't need our handouts. He wants our hearts. Giving, whatever it is, isn't about making up for some deficiency on God's end. It's for us. Instead, giving is to be seen as a question of where our treasure is. Jesus makes this abundantly clear. Where our, wherever our money goes is where our heart already is. We learn a lot about ourselves by checking what we spend our money and time and treasure on, talent on. What we value, we invest in. Whatever we value, we invest in. 
And so continuing on to our theme passage for this series, which is in Acts chapter 2, it should be on the screen. It says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here we see it was the practice of the infant church to sell everything that they didn't need and give the money to be used by all. I know what you're thinking. That's not what I'm saying right now, okay? I'm not telling you to do that necessarily. But but the goal that they had is that they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. A lot of them thought that Jesus was going to be back in the next 30 years. And so they said, if Jesus is going to come back, why do I need this? Why do I need this if my brother is starving? If the mission needs to go forward. And so they, rather than hold something back for themselves, they would rather sell it to meet the need of the mission. They, they desired the apostles' ministry to go forward. They desired to feed the hungry. They desired to participate in the mission with their giving. After all of this, we, we see that giving has always been a part of what it means to be God's people. From the beginning, right after the garden, all the way to the early and infant church, God's people giving to the work that God is doing is the normative. It's the, it's the normal way of, of God's people living. And we see all this, but okay, Jeff, what does it say to me in the 21st century? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me explain by taking us back to our opening scripture in 2 Corinthians 9. And what we see here is four things. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write it down. Four things that explain why we give. And it's this. We give because God gave first. We give because God gave first. We give because giving gives us joy. We give because it goes to the mission. And we give because it glorifies God. So first, we give because God gave first. Starting in verse 8, it says this. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. We give because God gave first. Paul writes this letter, and Paul, he's one of the first Christians to take the good news of Jesus' resurrection all around the, the Mediterranean Sea. And so he started this church in Corinth, and it was great. And then he leaves, and everything goes wrong. Paul writes four letters to the church in Corinth, and we only get two of them, so I don't want to know what happened to the other two. But, but we have two letters of Paul's talking about the things that they were just going off the rails. They were going crazy. And yet, even in spite of all the things going wrong, Paul had some things to commend in them as well. Because even in churches with serious problems, there's often tremendous good. And one of the places that they were doing well was giving. They were excited to participate in supporting the struggling church in Jerusalem. And so Paul quickly reminds them of why they give and the results of that giving. In verses 8 through 10, we see that Paul says, the reason why you give is because God gave first. God gave the, gives the seed and the bread right? So each of us, no matter how talented we are, no matter how hardworking we are, no matter how much we hustle, no matter how much wisdom or craftiness we have, everything we have is a result of God's giving. 
We have the talent and motivation and hustle because God has given it to us. Even down to the molecules we are made up of, we did not create ourselves. We are all gifted by God. God has given us breath and life and even the fruit of our labors are a result of his grace in our lives that he has given to all of humanity. And it is not because God, not just that God causes plants to grow, but anything we do that has positive result is a work of God in the world. This says something about the good in the world done by anyone, that each of us are made in God's image. And so therefore, because everyone is made in God's image, whether they follow Jesus or not, each of us contributing good is a result of God's grace in the world. It's everything that we have that, 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 that is a result of his supporting and sustaining love toward us. Therefore, when we give, we are giving back to his mission that he has given us. And Paul says this, is, this giving is part of our getting. This goes back to Cain and Abel. Right from the beginning, when they're, when they're making, when, when Abel is working the ground, or sorry, when Abel is working with the sheep and Cain is working the ground, the impulse they have to give back to God who created them is correct. Right from the start of the story of the Bible, we see that the correct understanding of God's giving results in us giving back to him. Not because he needs it, but because it makes us more like him. In fact, I would, I would say to you this morning, besides in loving others, we are never more like God than when we give. We are never more like God than when we give except for in loving others. But even our love is giving, right? God loved us so much, he gave his son, right? God loved us so much, he gave himself for us. We are never more like God than when we give. So we give because we want to be more like him and because we recognize our dependence on him. So first we give because God gave first. And second, we give because giving gives us joy. Starting in verse six, it says this. Remember this, a farmer who only plants a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This passage right here has been misconstrued in two different directions in my experience. The first is this. There are some people who read this passage and say to you, however much you give, God will give back to you. And I just want to tell you this morning, it's a lie. That's a lie. It's sometimes called the prosperity gospel, and it is not a gospel. It is not good news. God, God has given many people a lot of things who have no desire for him. And there are many people who follow Jesus very faithfully who have very little. How much we give does not result in how much we get. Not in this lifetime. That's not how it works. It's a false gospel. And there are other side of those who say, okay, well, then I should only give when I feel like it, right? Like, that's what Paul's saying, right, Jeff? Like, I only give when I feel like it. Well, is that what he's saying? He says, God loves a cheerful giver. But if you back up a little bit in this passage, Paul's saying, hey, I know you guys are gonna give to the church in Jerusalem. It'd be really awkward if they got there and there was nothing for them to get. And so, so, so Paul's saying, well, maybe you don't wanna, let's not make this awkward, guys. You said you were gonna give. Don't, don't pull back now. And, and so there are many disciplines in the Christian life that when we start them, they don't feel good. If you're not a big reader, reading the Bible every day is hard. If you're not really good at words, you, prayer may feel difficult to you. But, but the, the, the discipline itself helps us get to the place where we can enjoy it. So what am I saying? I'm, I'm not twisting your arm. Again, I'm just trying to explain what's going on here. 
It's true that we should only give when, when, we, when we give out of joy, but our joy should always precede our giving, but our joy should flow from our giving as well. Paul says in this passage, to give generously is to reap generously. What does that mean? I love sports. I'm a huge Padres fan because I like to suffer. Um, <laughs> we've never won a World Series. But if we did, let's say some crazy, it was this year, we won the World Series. I would love it but I would never love it as much as those who worked hard to be on the team. Because the amount that you put into something creates how much you enjoy it. The more you invest in something, the more you enjoy the reward of something. The more that we invest in things, the more we enjoy things. Those who spectate never enjoy the win as much as those who participate. If we give little in terms of our time, our treasure, and talent, we will never fully enjoy the ministry, the fruit of the ministry of those who fully invest. This is part of what Jesus means when he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that in direct correlation to how committed we are with our treasure to the kingdom of God, we'll be equally joyful to the triumph of the kingdom. However committed we are, Will, will correlate with how much we enjoy the triumph of the kingdom. Now, again, this isn't a sales pitch. I'm not trying to talk you into giving more. I'm trying to show us the reality of that the God's mission is going to go forward. It's going to work. Whether we give or not, God's going to accomplish his mission. God is so good, he doesn't need anything we have. The question is, will we enjoy it or not? Those who give cheerfully are those who remember that God gave first and that what we give participate in what he's already doing here and now. Not so that we can take credit, but so that we can be committed. So we give because God gave first. We give because it gives us joy. And third, we give because it goes to the mission. Look with me again at verses 11 and 12. It says this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. The reality is, is that giving in this church primarily uh, goes to four different things, and that's the budget of this church, the people employed by the church, the community we support in benevolence, and the, mission the missionaries we support. Now, I just wanna say this. I'm not blind to the irony that someone who's getting paid by the church is talking about giving. I recognize that. However, I believe wholeheartedly that what we are doing here is fulfilling the mission of God. And so I'm investing my life and my family and my time in this place because I believe that God is doing something here. The things we put in our budget aren't just to fill up paper, but also because we believe they will help us accomplish that mission, to help people know God, to love God, and to love others. Even 10% of our yearly budget goes to supporting those doing similar ministry around the world. 10%, one-tenth of our budget goes to missionaries every year. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, that's awesome. Paul took the gift of the church in Corinth to support the, support the people in church in Jerusalem. Here's the reality. In order for people to fulfill the mission of God, there needs to be giving. The question is, are we going to give it or someone else? In the book of Acts, they had a dispute in the early church over what to do with, with the excuse me, with, with the widows and, and those who are orphaned because they knew that God wanted them to take care of them. But the apostles said, hey, we're going to give this to someone else, the first set of deacons probably, because they, the apostles knew they had one responsibility, to make sure they were bringing the good news to the people around them. So they delegated that responsibility to someone else. Today, most pastors are employed by churches so they can focus on the ministry of the church and not take on another job. 
Some disagree with this method, and I've had lots of conversations with them. But oftentimes it's easier for pastors to fulfill their calling without taking on a second or third job. We are very blessed here to be able to do that. It is not just a result of today's giving, but of years and years of faithfulness in the past that makes it possible. Each of us are sitting in this building with AC that works for everyone but me. Somehow I always overheat. With the AC in here, the lights are on, the electricity works, and, and everything is working because of the giving of someone. Someone's sacrifice makes this possible. That's the way it works. But it isn't just those who are paid by the giving of the church who fulfill the mission. The, the mission is to fulfill the great commission to make disciples and the great commandment to love God and to love others. It's supported in our giving also by the things we make available for those inside the church and outside. We don't just plan events to fill up the calendar. We do it because we believe that they'll create opportunities for the lost to be found and the found to be free. We want the lost to be found. We want people who are far from God to come in here and to know what God is like. We want them to see what God is like through our ministry, through our preaching, through our singing, through our giving, through our communion, everything we do, but also all the events that happen on this church campus, VBS, kids, kids ministry upstairs, everything we do is for that mission. And the commitment to the giving of the, uh, uh, the, the commitment of those who give to this are making it possible. Again, God could do it without it, but he chooses to use the means of giving. And, and again, I, I recognize that this is not everyone's favorite topic. And if you have any further questions, I would love to talk to you after service or get coffees this week or, or whatever, just to chat about this. The reality is, is that God uses giving to accomplish his mission. So why do we give? Well, we give because God gave first. We give because giving gives us joy. And we give because it goes to the mission. And ultimately and finally and most importantly, we give because it glorifies God. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for, his, for this gift, too wonderful for words. Paul says this, the church in Corinth will result, the giving of the church in Corinth will result in the church in Jerusalem praising God. Why does this matter? Well, in the Westminster Confession, which was an old statement of faith made by a church centuries ago, it says this, the chief goal or end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The statement has been modernized by John Piper, who says it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I agree with this wholeheartedly. The goal of the Christian life, friends, isn't to escape hell. It isn't even to get out of this broken world. The, the goal of, this, of Christianity isn't even for us to be redeemed. It, it isn't even for us to be good disciples of Jesus. No, the goal of the Christian life is to have and to enjoy Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's it. All the things we do here are for that end, to have and to enjoy Jesus forever. That's the goal, to enjoy what we are created for, which is to glorify God to enjoy the wonderful and splendid Christ who saved us and is now ours forever. Amen. Every good thing in this world that we enjoy is just a foretaste. It's a glimpse. It's a shadow of the enjoyment of Christ we will have forever. In fact, all these good things just make us more hungry for Jesus. So, so our giving connects us to being able to help others enjoy that as well. The praise of God in others eventually results in the enjoyment of Christ forever. Why we give has practical ramifications, but its ultimate end is eternal satisfaction. 
and our being able, being re-enabled to be what we were created to be, creatures of joy created to enjoy their creator. Creatures of joy who are created to enjoy their creator. And this gift is, like Paul says, too wonderful for words. It's like the old hymn writer says, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That the love of God, the glory of God, the enjoyment of God is so beautiful, so amazing that words cannot express it fully. And this is what we believe, that God's amazing love and, and, and glory is in, has been revealed in Jesus, the one who gave himself to us in creation and gave himself for us in redemption. He is calling us to give so that others might get him. Not that others might get something obscure, but that others might get the greatest treasure in all of the universe, which is God himself. That is why we do what we do. Why do we give? Well, let me explain. Because God gave first. Because giving gives us joy. Because giving goes to the mission and giving glorifies God. But why do we do it the way that we do it? I just want to take a couple moments as we close just to give some practical pieces. And here they are. At Community Life, we give 10%. We encourage online giving. We mention the offering weekly and we use an ACH, starting with the 10%. Church history teaches us that there's a significant disagreement over how much one should give. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I figured it out. Uh, I'm not that smart. I know that. Uh, some people point to this passage in Corinthians where they point out the fact that we're no longer old, under the old covenant and that since the law was for Jews and not for Christians, why should we still hold the tithe? However, the early church and most of church history has practiced the tithe nonetheless. The reason being is because it sets a, a clear standard. But, but let, me, let me be frank with you. I'm not going to measure how much you give. None of us are. We're not going to go through your payroll and do that for you. It's between you and God. So whatever God is calling you to give, you should give. But, but the question is, and maybe I'm overstepping my bounds, so forgive me. Are we giving sacrificially or not? Because if our giving is supposed to create joy, it, it has to cost us something, right? David said, I refuse to give the Lord that which costs me nothing. All right, that's too convicting for me. Let's move away. Um, here's the thing. We're not going to chase you down. We're not going to kick you out. We believe you should give, give cheerfully and not out of compulsion, as Paul said. We don't practice giving the tithe as a tax. We practice giving the tithe as an offering. Taxes are taken from the unwilling to give to something. Amen. Uh, gifts are given by the willing towards what they care about. We, incur, we, we believe that giving should be an offering, not a tax. I understand the, the mention, but, but we have to change the, our perspective. So we, we give 10%. We, hear, we uh, encourage online giving here because of its ease and convenience, but also because we were just out of a pandemic, right? It's hard to give physically when you're not physically here. But we also want to make sure we don't ever want anyone who's a guest here or who hasn't made this church a home to think that we're all about the money. So we're not going to pass a basket. Instead, we believe that as you follow the Lord, he will lead you to give. So online giving skips this awkwardness, but it also skips spreading illnesses. As one with a little baby girl, I appreciate that. So, so we, we encourage online giving. Next, we mentioned the, the offering weekly during the announcement video, uh, whenever it works. And so, but the reason we do this is because we believe giving is a part of worship. 
Just like the preaching, just like the singing, just like taking communion, just like praying, giving is a part of the worship we offer back to God. So we, we, we do it weekly because we want to remind people to contrib- contribute in that worship. And finally, we use an ACH for giving. And I forgot what that stands for, but let me explain what it does. Um, it, it helps us to lower the cost of, of, of moving the money, essentially, so that the most amount of the giving goes into the budget and not into some company's pocket. And, and so as I invite the band back up as we close, um, I recognize this isn't everyone's favorite topic. I recognize that money is hard to talk about. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, but I do believe that if we're going to be the people that God is calling us to be, we need to be faithful in every area of our life. And because God has authority over all of our life, then the scriptures are then the authority that we, we live by. But whatever reaction you might have to my message, know this. God has given himself to you in Jesus. And through this amazing gift, you are now able to have right relationship with him. And we are called as his people to be a part of the mission in order to renew the earth, that God one day will bring new creation to this old creation. But until then, amen. Um, But until, until Jesus comes back, we're still supposed to be a part of the mission that he's carrying out. And as we do this, it requires us to give. And we give because he gave first. Because giving is supposed to cause us to have joy. Our giving goes to the mission, and ultimately, and and most importantly, it results in our original calling to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So this morning, I, I just encourage you, just whatever you heard, know this, God loves you. He is for you. He's not against you. He is offering forgiveness through what Jesus has done, and that in response, he calls us to give. And that, that's, is, that is what it is. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're so good. God, you created a world that was perfect, lacking nothing. That, that God, that it was, it was wonderful as it was, but we, through our sin, we broke it. Yet still through what Jesus has done, the unbreaking is happening. That because of Jesus, all the brokenness will eventually be handled. And so this morning, God, as we talk about a place that there's, there's brokenness, I know at least in my own life that I've never, never been perfect with money. And so, Lord, I'm sure there are others here this morning who feel the same way, God. Lord, if there's any spirit in them that's, that's accusing them or trying to make them feel less for this, God, would that spirit be taken away by your spirit? Lord, you, you call us to give not to put another law on our back, but to free us from love of money to free us to enjoy the ultimate thing, which is you, so that our treasure may be found in you, God. This morning, we thank you, God, that you gave us the opportunity to open the scriptures, that you gave us breath in our lungs, that you gave us more graduates who finished another hard year, more educators who poured into them. God, you have given so much to us. Lord, in response, will we give you our lives, more important than our money, we give our lives to you. We thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.